Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Oh, Jack. Jack O'Hara. Boy, you asked me some interesting questions, my man. It's a great question, Jack. Jack, hey, it's Josh Ryder. Hey there, Jack O'Hara. It's Johnny Damon. Jack, you had questions for me. Jack O'Hara? Absolutely. This message is for Jack O'Hara. Jack, how are you? Hey, Jack. Jack, hey, what's going on, man? How you doing? What's going on, Jack? Uh, listen, man, you know, you, you, you asked me a couple questions. Live and broadcasting around the world, you're listening to The O Show. In the show and uh, doing your thing, I mean, you've got some pretty big name guests. I've seen your, your stuff, so congratulations on your success. Jack O'Hara. Much nicer guy than Conan O'Brien with much better interviewing skills. Don't forget to share this episode on your social media. Now, let's get to it. Just part you, of it. Those midweek games that they kind of just slide into the schedule. Yeah, pretty much, man. But they're just they're just as important as all the other ones. So you got to treat them the same, right? But oh yeah, definitely. These are the tough ones. These are kind of like your trap games because guys start to think about, okay, I need to pack. I need to get ready for academics. They're they're not easy. And then the teams you usually play on Tuesdays are the ones that you know they really want to beat you. Not everybody does, but they're the team. Like we play Lipscomb tonight. They're two miles from our campus, and a lot of those kids. Um, you know, came to our camps and they're a very good program as, as it stands anyway. So, um, never, never easy. I mean, I I guess it kind of messes with your routine a little bit, you know, like you're used to having like the set same rotation every week. Cause I know here at GCU, we have like a two game set starting tonight too. And it's like our first weekday series. So like, you never really know who you're going to go with when it comes to starting pitching and you kind of have to resort everything that you originally had planned because you are in like that routine at least for like the first month of the year it seems like yeah i think like the the value in having a a quality you know i would say midweek starter like having a good tuesday guy is the biggest is the biggest benefit you can have um as a college team because the, the teams that win all of their tuesday games are the ones that put themselves in a position of you know hopefully host a regional at the end of the year but it also allows you to, if you can get a quality start, even if you don't always win the game, if you can get, you know, five, six, seven quality innings out of a starter on a Tuesday, then you're able to preserve your bullpen for the weekend too. So you're not having to run to three or four really good bullpen arms when really you can save them hopefully for the weekend, or at least maybe only throw them an inning versus like trying to throw them three or four. So yeah, the Tuesday kind of puzzle pieces are, they're not always a lot of fun, but they're a necessary evil in our sport. So you just have oh, yeah, to be, yeah. you know, you got to be able to uh, battle that adversity, no matter how small yeah. or big, I guess. I mean, you're yeah. not going to get, you know, those no hitter performances from Jack Leiter every, every time either. So you're certainly, you're you certainly gotta, not. you got to battle that adversity. How cool was that getting to do that? Cause what was that? That was the first no hitter in two years. Yeah. I mean, it was cool. I mean, anytime a guy like that takes the mound, I think you're, you know, you're liable to see special things, but you never go into a game just knowing how rare those are expecting to see anything like a no hitter. But um, with Kamar doing it in 2019, you know, that one was, that one was really cool. But at the same time, nobody was really thinking about that because our season was on the line. Our back was against the wall. We were, you know, one loss away from being done and nobody wanted that. And the fact and the gravity of that moment probably made that one be so, easy to look back on and just be like, man, I can't believe that happened where this one, it was like regular season game, his first SEC start. And when it happened, you know, nobody was necessarily surprised, not that it was easy because it was against a very tough team, but how he handled it and his emotion after the fact was just so professional. It was almost like he expected to do it. So I think that made it very, 
And it's also in the middle of the series too, right? So you started to play a Sunday game, which we ended up losing, which is very frustrating, but um, he handled it just like you would want to handle it. But nonetheless, he's such a mature and professional kid that um, he's earned those type of moments without question. And he may never do it again, but that was uh, a lot of fun to see. And uh, he's a special young man. I mean, it's definitely interesting to see. And I guess kind of just to get right into it, I don't want to take too much of your time on game day, of course, but because I know you're doing a ton, you have a ton on your plate right now, but, you know, like you're dealing with, you know, Jack Lighters who are young in this, you know, accomplishing a lot at a young age that they're very mature, they seem well put together. Because again, at this age group and, you know, at USA Baseball as well, like you're dealing with, you know, teenagers in a sense, young kids, you're still dealing with young adults, you could say at, you know, the 20, like 19 through 22 uh, year range, like you're dealing with, the mature types. And then there's going to be those types that aren't quite there yet. You know, they're still kind of trying to figure it out in a sense where they're still becoming young men and dealing with adversity and trying to handle, you know, right and wrong situations. Uh, Just in your experience, how have you been able to kind of adapt to those different personalities, those different attitudes and kind of help shape and mold these guys into becoming what I feel like the most ultimate goal is, is forming them into responsible young adults at the end of the day. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that for sure. I mean, the biggest difference in, you know, I would say USA Baseball and, and Vanderbilt, at least for my own experience, would just be the age gap and the difference. You know, I predominantly dealt with the 15 and under national team. And what I loved to always kind of def- like, um, I would say, define that group as these were physically 17, 18 year old kids and their skill set and their tools on the field. And mentally, we would have guys that were probably more in that 12 to 13-year-old range as far as their, you know, their mental development, their academic, academic development, their social skills, their communication. And there were also a lot of kids who acted much older than their age. Like I can think, and I'm certain I don't want to name, you know, name names, but there are guys that you kind of knew, hey, that guy's going to be a top 10 pick. And hey, this guy is probably at the peak of his career as a baseball player. And you know, that's not right, wrong, or indifferent, but, you know, I think in athletics, that's the piece where, especially in a sport like baseball, where you experience so much failure on a daily basis, every game going over four. And can you handle that and move on to the next day, having a bad start, having to take them out, you know, four or five days later, that's where you would see those separators with the kids at 15 years old. And I do think like when you play on a national team and you play in that international environment, how tough it is and, the things that they see and go through, I, I do think that matured them from a baseball standpoint and prepared them for those next steps, whether it was college or pro ball, but just a lot of mental development that I know was still to come for those guys. And then I think when you get to a place like college or a place like Vanderbilt, especially with the academic rigors that our student athletes go through, I think you're forced, if you do have any level of immaturity, when you come in here, you're forced to change that pretty quickly because you just, there's, there's really just no room for it. There's just not any time for it. Really, I'd say more so based on the demands of what your schedule is going to look like from an academic and athletic standpoint. So I do think there's probably kids that come in here that, you know, no one comes in here perfect. No one comes in here with a calendar that's regimented all the way down through their day. But I do think when they leave here, they've found ways to fill up their days with the right things and have the right people pouring into them, both individually Um, and their teammates that help them leave here certainly as more organized and mature individuals that are prepared to succeed, whether it's in the business world or in professional baseball. I mean, I'm sure it's a ton to deal with, like, especially this time of year where you're constantly playing, you're constantly in the middle of that grind, you're, you're on road trips, you're trying to balance your grades. What, what are the specific, you know, requirements that you have to have grade wise in order to play is it more gpa based or is it actual like class to class based in the sense of you have to get a certain um amount of points in order to be eligible well no i mean there's certainly university you know university and ncaa requirements for guys to maintain their eligibility but you know i think for for us you know we just want the very best you know every student's going to be different right so what you know what maybe the expectation for jack might not be the expectation for brooks and i think you have to keep that in mind because every kid comes in here with a little bit of a different academic background uh but at the same time there's not really a whole lot of tolerance or patience for not you know not trying in the classroom or using well i'm not a great student as an excuse or i'm not a good test taker like those aren't things you can fall back on so 
it's pretty simple. I mean, you know, coach Corbin's the best, I think in pretty much every way as a coach, as a leader and, and how he molds these guys. And if you don't take care of your business across the street, as he always likes to say, then you won't get a chance to take care of your business on the field. That's usually just the most simple way to put it. So we do have high standards on our guys in the classroom. We want them to be moving towards their degree, whether they leave after three years for the draft or not. And, um, and we don't really have a whole lot of issues with that. And we've got a great, you know, our academic advisor, Sarah Sanders, she does a tremendous job with our group and they do have a nice support system in place that can help them manage everything that comes at them academically and athletically. But at the same time, there's not a lot of, uh, there's not a lot of room for error. There's not a lot of room for time uh, for things outside of academics, baseball, and a little bit of, you know, social things that go on in their lives because what they're asked to do on a daily basis is, is very tough and it's not for everybody. And I think that's, um, you know, something that you always keep in mind with these guys, not just at Vanderbilt, but at every school, division one, division two, II, division three, NAIA. When you play a, when you play a sport, you're under a different set of standards in a lot of ways. And I think that's something that um, a lot of people forget and they just see the wins and losses and the performance on the field. I mean, especially right now too, with still the COVID-19 pandemic kind of precautions in place. Hopefully we're at the tail end of that. Like you see it with, you know, the NCAA tournament for men's and women's hoops right now. Like they're not allowed to do anything, you know, when they're not playing, they're in their hotel rooms in a sense, right? Like they're not allowed to do much. I mean, I know other sports have kind of been a little bit more lenient with that. I know baseball is obviously you guys are traveling all the time. And it's a little different. And yeah, like when it comes to like grade stuff, if you're not trying, that's one thing. But, you know, there's kids who get it right away and there's kids who really try their best and it's still kind of difficult. So you need to have like that great team support in order to, you know, off the field as well as on the field in order to get everything done. So you're able to take care of business on the field, you know, taking care of business off the field. Like you just said, coach says, you know, take care of business across the street. That's first and foremost. Uh, from your perspective, though, you know, you going through the ranks, you know, finding multiple gigs out of school, ultimately, you know, I feel like you found your blueprint with um, USA Baseball before, you know, taking over things on the baseball operations side for Vanderbilt. How early or late was it for you, you know, kind of developing all of those mental, you know, mindsets, whether it was, you know, finding your faith or, you know, kind of like everything just came together for you in a sense of like, you can't like be too high all, like when things are going great you can't be too low when things are going low like you have to be even keeled and you're able to you know build and mold those experiences in order to you know build that certain mentality that you have today yeah I mean I I would say that's progressionary and, and kind of in phases at different points in my life like I've never like I don't have it all put together today Jack I still don't you know, I still kind of look around and think, man, I, I got a lot of things I need to improve on daily. And I, I hope that's, you know, you know, I think that's everybody. I hope that's everybody. We're always far from a, a finished product. But, um, you know, when I was playing and going to school at, at Birmingham Southern, I think that was the point where I would say a lot of my habits, uh, both on the field, um, learning the game, I would say at a really high level, but also kind of getting to understand what it meant to be a tremendous teammate because I didn't play uh, as much as I would have liked. And I had nobody to blame for that but myself. And that was my own kind of work ethic and habits that put me in a position to not be uh, a guy who logged a lot of innings on the mound. And I think from that point forward is really when I started to understand the, the tremendous value and addition that a great teammate can be. And I've never forgotten that because that's when I started obviously thinking about a career and what I wanted to do with my life. And when you are very competitive, which I am, I'm, I'm one of the most competitive people that you know, I know, and I think people that know me would say that too, right, wrong, or indifferent. Um, I think that that's when I realized a career in sports is what I wanted to do. I wasn't built to sit behind a desk all the time. I wasn't built to punch a clock and be an eight to five um, type person. And that's when I really started to kind of dive into the different pockets of like where you could work in athletics, college, professional. And I got to understand the coaching route a little bit more and what that meant, the administrative route, the support staff route, all the other external you know, departments that you could potentially work for. And I really just dove in and tried to do as many of them as I could with internships and just kind of like shadowing when I was in college. Cause I wanted to know what I liked, but I also wanted to know more so what I didn't like. So I didn't set myself on this path where I was going to be three years in and say, Hey, I really don't like this. Now I kind of like caution 
when I talk to students that are in similar situations, I caution them and say the first job I took out of school was by no means a dream job. But at the same time, it was, you know, it was with IMG College, which is a massive company with a great, you know, I'd say corporate, um, you know, training philosophy and taught me so many things about how to email, how to talk on the phone, um, just how you interact in a customer service standpoint. And one piece I would say I took from that was even though I didn't want to be in sales and corporate sponsorship long-term, we're always in sales and customer service, no matter what industry we're ever in. And that's something I've never lost sight of. You know, I might be the, you know, general manager, chief of staff of Vanderbilt baseball today, but that doesn't mean that a phone conversation I have when I get off of this podcast with you won't be with a disgruntled donor or fan about something that happened. That's customer service. So I think that's the one piece of that, that, really started to shape kind of my mindset and mentality when it came to working in athletics and trying to take something from every step, you know, that I had. Um, but at the end of the day, I think as I grew both as a professional, um, as I grew in my relationship with my wife, Lauren, as I grew more into understanding who I was as a man and in my faith and in my, in my daily walk, little things just slowly start to improve. And I've always been that guy that, can recount almost every pitch I'd say for most of the losses in my college career, just like I can with every loss from USA baseball. And in many ways, the losses here at Vanderbilt, and those are just always so much more vivid to me than, than the wins. And I think if you're not learning from your losses, not just on the field, but really in life, when something doesn't go your way, there's really just no way you can move forward and understand kind of the deep joy in winning at anything that you're doing, but also understanding kind of, where your identity comes from, your true passion in life. And, and that's certainly not always going to come with, uh, with wins or when, when things go your way. No, I mean, you have to learn to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Like, like you just said, like failure is the best teacher and failure kind of brings out your true identity, your true self, how you're able to handle tough situations. Cause again, if you're not, if you don't react well, like that's, that's the real you in a sense. And I feel like when you're a young kid and, you know, you have experiences, you react a certain way and you grow and you eventually have enough experiences to where, you know, like, okay, like bad things are going to happen. You got to deal with it. Everything happens for a reason. Like as, as a man of faith, like I feel like a lot of people will know that. And I'm very intrigued to hear yours because I'm very interested and inspired to hear, you know, the different perspectives, the different stories of how people kind of, you know, molded in and came into their faith. Like for you, was it, you know, through baseball, through those certain tough life experiences and how were you able to, you know, again, come together today and like have that self-realization that, you know, again, everything happens for a reason and that God's kind of has a plan for everybody. Well, it's never been, uh, it's always, like I said earlier, it's always been a work in progress. Yeah. Uh, I would say even like, uh, even during the pandemic, you know, I got, I got closer to God because I have more time and that sounds like such a cheap and easy excuse. Like, Oh, well, we have more time. So we got closer. Well, it's just the truth. I, I probably would not have cleared my calendar myself to do those kind of things if it hadn't been cleared for me. And while I was very, very, upset and in, in a, you know, in a, in a tough place, like a lot of people, when our season was taken away, there were a lot worse things taken away from other people uh, with COVID-19. So that was an easy perspective to kind of reframe your mindset very quickly, almost a day or two after the season and not allow anybody to feel sorry for themselves, knowing where we ended up six, eight months later, or even today. So that was, um, that was really good for me to kind of understand, you know, pretty quickly because it did help me, again, hit that reset button on what's your identity? Where are you drawing uh, your fulfillment from? And, you know, I, I'm pretty big into at least, you know, right now or probably for the last year, reading my devotion every day, being in the Word, trying to journal a little bit more, be in constant prayer and just kind of give things to God. But it hasn't always been that way. And I'd be lying if I said that it was. That's always been a battle for me. My wife's been on me about it for years because she's always been really diligent and I've always respected her. And I've, I've kind of said many times that she's pushed me more in my faith. That's helped me individually than um, that in turn helps our relationship and helps our marriage. So I think that's the thing that I learned over this past year. But when I take it back to like the early, you know, my early days and kind of my foundations, like I was raised in a Christian household. I had great parents that had us in church and taught us right from wrong. And 
Um, I'd always had a very strong conscience of knowing very clearly what was right and what was wrong. It doesn't mean I always did the right thing, but that's something I find myself today, you know, at 30 years old saying, you know, or I guess 31 years old saying more and more, um, that was painful. That was painful to say, saying 31 right there. Um, (laughs) I think, um, I think that's the thing that, uh, always find myself saying today is like, just do the right thing. Like when, whether you're a man of faith or a woman of faith, when it comes down to it, if we just do the right thing, then life's going to be a lot easier for you. And that was something that, you know, in high school, I probably didn't always abide by that. I know I didn't in college. I was probably further away from God than I ever expected to be. Um, but that's ultimately what brought me, you know, I think what brought me back and what brought me closer. What I try to be super mindful about now, Jack, is just that, I want my words and my actions to match what Jesus would say and do. And they, they don't always do that. Um, and I think in sports, being in a dugout, being on a sideline, being in an arena, I think it's easy to fall into those traps um, to not, you know, not have those type of actions and those type of words. And it's a work in progress, like I said, but that's okay because that's a level of perfection that no one can ever attain. What I really want people to know is my heart how I serve, how I help. And I think that's probably like the greatest misnomer about, you know, Christianity or, or being a believer is that you have to be perfect all the time or you can't make mistakes. You can't say bad words. You can't, you know, do things wrong ever. And the Bible makes it really clear that, you know, it's so far from that. The, the biggest difference to me is just saying you're a believer is one thing having a relationship with Christ and people being able to like see that through you and see, that just in your eyes and in your heart and your actions and how you uh, help other people. Like that's what, that's what he, that's what he wants to begin with. And there, it takes a lot of ups and downs in life to understand that, but it's one of the reasons I love working with, you know, college student athletes and young people on a daily basis because they're in such formative years of their life. Now I don't have to Bible thump them over the head with scripture or anything like that. You know, they're mature enough to understand a lot more than people realize. And, a lot of times they're going to see your heart just in how you talk to them, how you respond to them, how you give them grace, um, how you you know, are able to help and be there for them, not just in the good times, but in the bad, just your general support. And the times that I feel like I make the biggest impact with some of our, you know, some of our kids are when they're in their darkest times, when they've gone through something, you know, socially that's really difficult, when they've gone through something really tough on the field, a loss, a bad outing, whatever it is that's when they need the positivity the most. And that's how I want to be there for them. Um, and I didn't always have that, you know, I've always had my parents and, and I've, I've dated my wife, Lauren for a long, we've been married for, uh, since 2012 and, and dated for a long time before that. So I've always had that kind of internal support system. I've had great coaches and people that were there to help me, but you can never have too many people in your corner, right? You can never have too many people that are just pouring positivity in your life. And I just try to view, you know, myself as an extension of that for the 40 guys that we have in our locker room and the student managers and even the staff. I want to be somebody that is a shoulder to lean on and an ear that will always listen. And um, if somebody says, hey, drop what you're doing and help me, I I want to be that guy. I want to be that guy more times than not. I I think that's what Jesus would do. And uh, I just want to move closer to that every single day. And it's a lot easier said than done. So how, so it just you know, like you just kind of explained, you, you kind of found it more gradually kind of, cause you know, you hear like someone say uh, like, Oh, I like, I can see Jesus like in his presence and like, I can feel like what he's trying to, you know, in a sense, you know, teach me in this situation. And some people, you know, just don't get that. Like how did it just gradually happen for you? Or was there a moment where it was like, okay, I see things clearly now. Um, you know, in that sense of having that faith with, with Jesus and kind of, you know, like you just said, like having it help, you know, your relationship with your wife and your current relationships, whether it is professionally or personally. Well, there's a, there's been a few different moments, I'd say, over the course of time. Like I think back to a Christmas Eve service in 2008 that I've referenced before um, that my wife and I went to. Um, her parents were there and I just remember I can't get I, I can I can't even recall a lot of the detail of the service but I remember thinking that the pastor was talking directly to me and I just ended up in tears and I'm not a big crier and I just was rocked by that whole service and 
that didn't put me on this like path of, you know, sainthood by any stretch. I mean, that was, you know, that was 13 years ago and there's been a lot of personal and professional growth, spiritual growth that's taken place for me since that time. But that was a moment that I knew how I was living wasn't what I wanted to be and, and, and right. And that did set me on this, I would say, search to figure out, okay, how can I become a better man, a better boyfriend at the time to Lauren, and just generally be a better person. And I think that's always the, the path that I've tried to be on. But that's when it really, I would say, set in for me. Um, I also remember thinking one time I was, at a, I was at a college football game and I was, you know, you know, just like anybody watching the game, engaging, clapping, jumping up and down, being excited for the team I was cheering for. And I remember thinking like, man, I've lived my whole life judging the people in the front of the church with their hands up, clapping, dancing, doing whatever they want to do to worship Jesus. And I'm here acting like an absolute maniac in these stands with 90,000 people that I don't even know. And I'll go to church tomorrow and I'll judge those same people, but I won't put my hands up because I'm too cool or because I can't actually like celebrate or worship the one who matters. And I just like laughed at myself and I was like, man, like you, like you're, like you're, you're a hypocrite in a lot of ways. And from that point forward, that kind of changed my posture towards, I don't care who I'm at church with. I don't care who's sitting next to me. I don't care who's around me. I don't care who sees me. I'm going to worship what I believe in. And I'm never going to back down from that. And that did change, I think, how I approach church, which in, in, you know, probably in turn also helped me get more plugged in at church to get into more small groups, to want to be more present, opposed to just showing up on Sunday, getting the message and getting the heck out of there. That was how I had approached it before. So those two moments specifically, I think, are ones that, you know, I can vividly look back on and say, like, okay, these kind of helped, you know, start a new chapter for you and your vision and kind of where you wanted to go. Um, and then, like I mentioned earlier, going into the pandemic and having everything, you know, having everything you expected to be doing in the spring, a baseball season, taken away. And um, those were, there were some dark times for, for all of us. There were times where I woke up and I was like, I'm not reading the Bible today. I'm not reading the devotion. I don't want to do anything. I'm just kind of mad at the world. And what good does that do other than just tell you like, hey, you are getting your gratification and your identity in the wrong place. If you're mad at the world today because you can't be playing an SEC baseball game, then your priorities and your perspective are way out of line. And I just had to go through that over the course of the spring and find ways to pour my energies into other areas that would improve, you know, my mind, improve my body and improve my faith. And I think I was able to do that and form some habits that have kind of translated into, I wouldn't say a new mentality once we got back and things started to get more back to normal, but at least better perspective of who I am and the impact that I want to have and, and um, the person that I want to be. And I hate losing. I absolutely absolutely hate losing. I mean, I mentioned it earlier talking about the no hitter. Like I immediately referenced the loss on Sunday and that's probably short-sighted of me, but that's just how I kind of am and operate. But I do think I even handle uh, the losing probably a little bit better now because I just, I get, I, I, I get it more now than I ever have. And, and the 2019 season, when we were fortunate enough to win the national championship, it would have been really tough to lose the end of the year, but I was so um, at peace with the outcome going into it because I knew what a great group of guys we had and they had poured everything they had into. And if we came up short, we came up short, but the, those trophies, those rings, all that stuff that doesn't matter. It's not coming with us anyway. It took me a long time to realize that, but you know, when the gates open up and those who are, you know, saved and, and get to be called in, you're not going to be grabbing your trophy case or trying to throw your rings on and bring them up with you. They, they just carry dust and they're always going to carry dust. And if you can't be in it for the relationships and the memories and the impact that you leave, uh, you probably shouldn't be working in, in sports because that's really what it's about. And you don't always realize that as a player for certain. I think it takes you some time to realize that as a professional, whether you're a coach or a staff member, but that's the perspective that I always try to put into it. Doesn't mean I'm not going to be upset if we lose any game or lose in a championship game, but at the end of the day, that's not, always the goal in life. And I think it's taken me a while to learn that, but it is the perspective I try to kind of apply on a daily basis. No, I mean, that's so true. And kind of to allude to what you were saying, you know, over the past 12 months or so, at least those first few months where everybody was kind of, you know, again, locked in their houses, you had that time to kind of 
either sit there and mope about the fact that you're not being able to play, you know, in your conference in the SEC and you're not being able to, you know, do what you love on a daily basis, but you're given the time to kind of sit back, gain a new perspective in a sense, kind of walk away from it. Not like you said, like you probably didn't walk away from it in like a totally different mindset. Some people may have, you know, um, it depends on where you're at in life, I guess. But, you know, you're, you're dealing with these kids, you know, 18 through 22, 23 years old. You know, they're still molding into young men. You know, you kind of just explained, you know, your your personal story of how you were able to kind of, you know, mold that faith, you know, being a, a guy that, you know, shoulder to lean on in a sense, you know, as as chief of staff, as a GM. Like, do you deal with... Um, I guess like more because again, at that age, like you were saying, you know, like you're in church, like maybe like you think you're too cool to do certain things or like kind of like feel that passion and feel that, you know, uh, sense of motivation to do things. Are there certain guys that come to you on a personal level as, as opposed to like playing stuff like professionally as a ball player, like do you deal with both of them equally or, or do you feel like people, don't do that in a sense. Cause again, they're young kids and some people just don't understand that yet. Well, I, I'm not really one to like, like I mentioned, I use the term, you know, thump people with a Bible over the head oh, or impre- right. impress my faith on anybody. Um, I'm very open, you know, kind of on social media about, about my faith. I, I've gotten in this, um, I would say not necessarily a daily habit, but anytime that I kind of read my daily devotional and, and I feel like if it helps me, if, if it helps one other person, then, then that's great for me. So I got in the habit of reposting that, which people see and probably associate with like, oh, he's a believer. And that doesn't necessarily mean much other than somebody I don't know that looks and says, okay, he's a man of faith. Now, if they don't know me, they don't know my heart. And it could just as easily be, you know, kind of a, uh, you know, kind of be something that they're just saying, like, he's just posting that to post. But that is an area where I do try to be very outspoken, um, with, cause I think I don't have a, a huge platform, but I do think, you know, there's enough people and enough young people that, um, you know, I've either coached or worked with that I feel like want to see that. And, um, it's not for everybody, but I am always amazed at some of the things that I post that one random person will reply. And I just think it's great when anybody can take anything away from it. And some of the things that I'll post, I'm like, I didn't get a lot out of this today, but I'm still going to post it. I'll have 30 or 40 people that are applying be like, this changed my day or I really needed this. And I'm always just, I shouldn't be blown away because that's God working on people's hearts. Um, but I do think that's something that um, whether it's our players or former players or whoever see it, I, I probably talk more to our guys um, after they leave here because most of them stay in Nashville and, and live here when they're done playing and they train because a, a good majority, if not most all of them are playing professional baseball, which is a cool part about our environment. Yeah. But I, I'm able to get into more, you know, going to lunches, going to dinners with them, trying to, you know, be around and in their lives more because it's easier to do that once they're done playing, they've got more time and there's this kind of clear separation. Um, I've gotten to know a lot of our pro guys that weren't even, um, that didn't even play when I was here that came before my time in 2016, that we talk about our faith all the time. We've had people that have attended our church here when they've come back in the off season, but I also try to, you know, just not forcefully in any way invite our guys, our current guys, like, Hey, anytime you want to come to church, you know, it's an open invitation. Like, just let me know if you need, you know, to know where it is or the times or anything else. Like I'm, I'm here, I'm here for, for you guys and send that offer out you know, a couple of times a year, the spring is tough even for myself to get to church because we play on so many Sundays. But I do think, you know, just knowing that there's somebody in that corner and somebody that can be an advocate for them does lead to more conversations as these guys grow and um, find themselves in situations where they just need somebody to talk to that might not be, um, you know, might not be about baseball. And that can, I can have those conversations about baseball, but I can have them about life and about faith too. So, um, I've had several of those conversations over the years and I hope to have a lot more, but um, I do think there's a balance between, you know, those two, especially with these guys when they're, you know, current student athletes more than anything. No. And I feel like that's definitely like, you can't force anything on anybody what it is, but especially when I feel like when it comes to either Christianity or, you know, trying to, Cause you know, you see people like me growing up, I, I dealt with people who tried to force it on me. Like, it's not going to work. Like it, you have to find it within yourself, have those own experiences in order to kind of 
again, find it in a sense. And not everybody is going to be in tune with it as one would hope. But like yeah. it works for them, it works for them. You know, like whatever um, is your kind of life hack in a sense and whatever is going to make you thrive on a daily basis and, you know, help you be happy at the end of the day because that's the most important thing, I feel like. Especially when you guys are in the grind right now, you kind of lose sight of that, which is why I think the last 12 months or so kind of helped a lot of people get things in perspective and get things in order for what they wanted to accomplish in the future. Because I know for you, you know, doing what you do, you know, chief of staff, general manager, baseball ops, like you're doing a lot for arguably the best baseball program in in the country. So what what is it that you, you know, do on, on a daily basis? Today's a game day. So I'm sure today's very busy setting everything up when it comes to the website, social media, you know, dealing with personnel, player and coaches alike. What, how has your job kind of evolved um, over the past several years since you got to Nashville and Vanderbilt? Yeah, it, it's evolved a lot and it's changed very much. I think in my, you know, I would say job description, which whatever was on that sheet of paper, you know, when I got here was not necessarily everything it was yeah. um, it kind of in action. And, and it's changed a lot over time uh, for the, for the better, certainly. And I think um the more you learn about a place, the more relationships that you build and the more trust that you gain from those you work with, you know, particularly Corbs. And he's somebody that um, we relate really well, um, you know, kind of from a mentality and expectation standpoint of how we want things to run and operate. So as more and more things have kind of ended up on my plate, you know, I do think the, like, like you said, the role has changed more from baseball operations to general oversight of our program in, you know, a lot of areas that, you know, I would say everything that doesn't, um, everything that isn't filling out the lineup card and, and choosing who we recruit and who we don't recruit, you know, that's the coach's jobs and they do a great job of that. But I think, um, the biggest, I would say changes have just been in the communications and marketing arena for us and how we've been able to grow our social media, uh, and our brand, I think it is a little bit of uh, a national brand now in a sense and how we have been able to build that is, is, and, and it's what we want to do for them is through the players and telling their stories and making them the, the focus all the time of what are on those channels and how we're able to get them out there and tell, you know, tell their personalities and tell their skill sets. And that's been a lot of fun. Uh, we've been able to grow that exponentially in a, you know, really a short period of time. So uh, I've been fortunate enough to kind of have that on my plate and spearhead that as far as the growth and the areas that we wanted to get into that we weren't into. And the university has been, been, um, you know, very good to us in, in the way of helping us get those resources and understanding the value in that. Um, and then as those things continue to, to grow, you're able to bring in more staff and I, I don't take it for granted every, any, any day that I'm here, we have a great support staff. We have a great staff in general, but we have a lot of support staff that are kind of able to hone in on their very specific things, whether that's analytics, video, um, player development. We're, we're lucky. We're really lucky in that, in that sense and in, in that arena and kind of set up like a professional organization in some ways. And it really allows people to focus and have the freedom to just do their job and not get spread thin in certain areas. Now I'm probably, um, you know, because I have my hand in so many things, some big, some little, I do feel like, you know, you're just trying to figure out where you can best allocate your time and your resources. Uh, we just hired two, um, two new staff members, one to uh, kind of take my old role as director of operations and then, and then a program assistant um, that will help out in a lot of administrative capacities and with camp and those kind of things, which will again, help us kind of refine our approach to what we're doing and, and trying to just be laser focused in every area um, that, you know, touches the student athlete experience. That is something that helps recruiting or helps camp helps our game day environment. I've always described it. Jack is trying to raise, cause there's think about it. There's so many departments that uh, are affiliated with any sport on any college campus on a daily basis, on a yearly basis, you know, from the hierarchy of, you know, just alphabetically admissions, academics, compliance, all the way down the list. And what I've always wanted to, um, you know, try to implement is 
how can you raise everybody you deal with in those departments? How can you raise their, uh, their standard to match the standard of what we expect inside the walls of the baseball building, what we ask of our staff, what we ask of our kids on a daily basis. It's, it's very high and um, we're not going to apologize for that ever. And you can't always get everybody to operate on that same level, but if you can get them thinking that way and you can get certain people operating that way, then it's going to build a better program, but it's also going to build a better Vanderbilt because if you can try to raise their standard, we've got a lot of great sports here, a lot of, a lot of really, really good coaches, but if you can start to raise the standards of the people that aren't embedded with the teams every day, then the athletic department, the university are going to start to you know, operate more efficiently and at a more competitive level too. So I think that's an area that has been a, a, a focus of mine that I've really enjoyed is trying to get more embedded with those external departments and in turn, hopefully helping, you know, our process and, and um, our kids and, and all the things that come along with it. So I've really enjoyed that and look forward to continue to do it and kind of diving in a little bit deeper on some of the more big picture initiatives as we go forward. So how do you do that specifically, you know, kind of trying to get people to buy into what you're selling in a sense, like that overall vision for what you guys want as a program, both on and off the field, because I'm sure you guys have probably one of the more bigger staffs, you know, in, in the country, because like you said, like so many eyes are on you guys, whether it was just scouting, you know, like 10 years ago. Now there's the social media aspect where you got cameras all over the place. You're constantly looking to dive in to that, you know, extra stuff that isn't necessarily, you know, for the players who have to take care of their jobs on the field. How do you, you know, specifically, like, what's the overall game plan mindset when you're bringing in new people that don't necessarily get what you guys are trying to put out right away? Well, I think it's a, it's a couple of different things. The, the first being when I talk about a lot of those areas that I mentioned before, it's, kind of processes and procedures trying to put in very consistent and defined expectations of when we go to do this, here's the steps we take and why we take them and to help people understand why you want things done a certain way. Uh, You can't get people to believe in your vision really until they trust you. You know, if, if I or, or coach Corbin, when he started 2002 or three had come in here, just like knocking down walls and saying, we're going to do it this way people don't want to follow that. They want to be able to, um, you know, lock arms and move forward with somebody that says, Hey, I'm not going to ask you to do anything I won't do. And I think that's the thing that, um, you know, the characteristic I try to embody is there's no detail or tasks that I won't do. You know, if it's, uh, you know, going to the store to pick up snacks for the team, or if it's grabbing a vacuum and vacuuming the stairs because they're dirty and somebody missed it, there's no job Um, or title in our program and we remind each other of that frequently it doesn't matter what my title is or that you know Corbs's door says head coach if you see something needs to be done you just do it and I think that's that mindset that we've just tried to relay to everyone we deal with whether it's an on-campus department or off campus is we're we're very um, we're very defined on how we want things done we're not going to apologize for that and we do want the standards to be high for what we do. And if you can meet them, great. And if you can't, we're going to keep reminding you of how we, you know, think they can be because everybody should want to operate at their best. I don't think that's too much to ask for people to um, want to get the best out of themselves. And when you're, you know, when you're paid a salary or you're a part of something greater than just the individual, you, you should get fulfillment when you see the success of, you know, young people, student athletes, teams, because you're just as much a part of that as anybody else in the building. And I try to also remind people of that too, whether it's somebody that's out shooting video at, at a game for us, whether it's somebody that is working on the back end for, you know, complimentary tickets for the players' families, you know, a guest services member, the PA guy in the press box, everybody has a role and they're all equally important because, the experience that one person that attends a Vanderbilt baseball game for the first time could be defined by one negative interaction with one person that might not be directly on the baseball staff, but in their mind, they are. That one person is Vanderbilt baseball. That one um, aggressive or negative interaction changes their thoughts and their opinion on Vanderbilt baseball and potentially Vanderbilt athletics as a whole um, right away. And you may lose a fan, a donor, um, or, you know, in this day and age, you know, catch some negative publicity um, based off somebody that 
you know, at the very end of it, they may not think they speak for you, but they speak for you. When they sign up to be a part of your program or your department or your business, they speak for you. It's kind of like that whole, um, you know, another, another thing that, that Corp says all the time to our players is your tweet like in social media, your tweet is our tweet. So even if it's something that you put out there, it doesn't, it, it still reflects back on us if it's misconstrued or if it's something that, uh, you know, is looked at negatively because we all speak for our group. Now, does that mean we all have to be robots and say the same things? No, definitely not. There are a lot of people that, you know, I'm sure are in our building and in our clubhouse that, you know, are people of faith that probably look at what I put out and say, oh, I don't believe that. Totally fine. And I respect it and get that. Would never judge anybody that way. But at the same time, if I go out and say something really stupid, that's a reflection of our program. It's a reflection of myself, but it's a reflection of our program too. So I, I'm always mindful of the interactions for people that, you know, deal with our program on a daily basis of, are they going to be the best representatives of, of our group? And if you can try to just push them and guide them and join forces and, and lock arms with them and move forward together, then I do think they feel that buy-in of like, Hey, um, I'm part of a greater cause and I want to, you know, uphold my end of the bargain and kind of be, be my piece to that big puzzle that moves Vanderbilt baseball forward. So, you know, to kind of, put a bow on that, you know, in a sense of not only from like the, uh, the operations side where you're trying to get people to line, but like you said, from the player side, like everybody, you know, is representing the Vanderbilt baseball program in the sense of what you're tweeting, what you're, what you're doing on social media. If you get caught doing something you're not supposed to, because you guys are in the Nashville area too, very, you know, it, it's a rocking city when things are going right. So like, there's a lot of different aspects that you got to, put into it, especially when you're like in the recruiting process. Cause again, like you're trying to get these guys to buy into what your, your overall culture is, but at the same time, you're trying to mold them into, you know, young respected men, like gentlemen in a sense. Cause like these seniors that are coming out of high school that are really good, they could have, you know, like the worst, you know, personalities, the worst mentality when it things to, again, things not going your way or just their big partiers, their big, whatever, you know, like how, how much, does the character aspect uh, play a factor when it comes to the recruitment process, not only for players, but, you know, operations and, you know, team members alike? Um, It's so important, the character piece that you try to define in the recruiting process. Now, given how quickly it operates in baseball now and how young um, you know, we're kind of forced to recruit given the recruiting calendar and just how it's evolved over time, which I don't think anybody likes or agrees with, but it's the nature of the beast right now. Um, you try to dive in on the character piece and do as much, you know, due diligence as you can. I think that starts with really getting to know the parents, if you can, getting to know um, what type of parents are they. Is this kid coming from, um, you know, a household where they were raised well? And that can be that could be a single parent household that could be raised by grandparents. It could be two parents that have been married for 30 years. There's no right or wrong to like what constitutes a good household. But I do think you just try to dive in and understand their story and how they got to where they are from a non-baseball sense, just trying to understand the fibers for how they're wired because the baseball stuff, not that it's easy, you know, kids at 15, 16 years old can be really good and they may never get any better and they might not, you know, ever be an impactful player at a power five school, but the baseball part, is the easier of the two because you can easily or readily go see that and identify it and say, okay, well, this kid throws 94 miles an hour. Yes. He's going to have a chance to pitch at Vanderbilt or, Hey, this kid can hit a ball a long way and has great strikes and discipline. He's going to have a chance to hit here. The pieces that you don't know are what kind of teammate is he? What you see in the dugout is not always what he's like in a locker room. Uh, what kind of classmate is he? What you see on, um, on a report card or transcript. It's not always what type of, uh, discipline studier that they are so you try to dive in on as much as you can and i do think we get a lot more right than we get wrong but we still get some wrong where you're like man how do we miss this how do we not see this um and i think that the clues are there if you look and you're willing to dig deep enough and we usually are um mike baxter's our recruiting coordinator but our entire staff is involved with that operation Corbs is very involved with recruiting. Uh, Scott Brown, our pitching coach, he's very much into um, evaluating our pitchers and recruits a lot of a lot of those. And um, I think 
where we all pitch in in the process when these kids get here is trying to, um, you know, all get a vibe, especially when you're able to have kids on campus, which we haven't been allowed to because of the pandemic in a long period of time, but just trying to dive in and just really get to know them, see how they react to certain situations. You know, when they're hanging out in groups, are they the center of attention? Are they quiet and off to the side? Just trying to read, you know, visual body language cues. They look you in the eye when you talk, um, you know, they seem squirrely. Do they seem confident? Do they seem overconfident? There's so many things that go into it. But yeah, I think, um, you know, that's not an easy piece to it. And you hope that you get a lot of that right on the front end. You don't expect them to be perfect when they get here. But I think if you can get kids that are, um, are raised well, that want to be good representation of their parents when they get here, I think you can just continue to kind of build on that really strong foundation. And um, they hopefully leave here even better than uh, when they got here. That's got to be, you know, probably the most fulfilling part and, again, the most difficult, in a sense, part of your job because you're looking at these guys, you know, 17, 18 years old that are coming into your program. You know, they're they're getting those experiences in the program over whether it's a three or two, three-year, four-year period of time, and then they're walking away almost a completely different human being with, with the experiences that they brought in as a young kid kind of forming and shaping their mentalities as a young adult going off into the real world, whether that's professional baseball or whether that's, you know, in any other industry that they might do, because again, like you don't know if you're going to be able to make it to the next level or not, even at, you know, a program like Vanderbilt where you guys are the number one team in the country. But in that sense, like where do you rank that part of the job when it comes to being, you know, chief of staff and running all of these different things and wearing all of these different hats? Well, the most important thing to me is always keeping the like very number one perspective of my job exists for the betterment of the, of the players and the student athletes. It's number one. And I try to remind that for anybody we ever interview, anybody I ever talk to anybody within our building, when I feel like maybe they're losing a little bit of focus, like, Hey, you know, like you can complain about this all you want, but does this serve the student athletes in the best way possible and does it move our program forward and if it does like you're complaining it's not going to help it because you're still going to have to get it done either way and I have to tell myself that from time to time I think the you know the development of them and and, and Corbs is the best at this like with the time that we spend in our in our classroom is what we call it you know our meeting space and the mental development that goes into um, you know helping these guys really learn what's going to be expected of them in life, not just in baseball and down to the smallest of details that we go over with these guys. And very little, um, very little that we talk about in that room is about baseball. And that's what I've always admired about, about Corbs. It is that he's willing to put in the time to teach these guys things that are going to make them, you know, better men, but better husbands, better fathers, better CEOs, better professional baseball players. I don't think there's any, um, like the proof is in the pudding with professional baseball. You look at the big leagues right now. um, You look at how many people we have in professional baseball and the impact that these guys make when they get into a clubhouse, you know, there's for every David price, there's a Tony Kemp where David price at the time signed, I think the biggest deal for um, a pitcher in professional baseball history. And then Tony Kemp, who, you know, was a former sec player of the year and was drafted high, but, you look at him as a player and the physical attributes tell you like, Oh, that's probably not a guy that should be in the big leagues for a long period of time. He's found a way to do it because he's talented for sure, but his personality um, and how engaging he is in a clubhouse, people want to be around that. They want to be around that guy. And he had a lot of those skills coming into Vanderbilt, but I think he refined them here and the college baseball process um, and being in a locker room and the things that you learn from being in a college clubhouse more than anything uh, enabled him to seamlessly slide into professional baseball and be a guy that people wanted to be around. So you think about development and, and it happens for people at all different points of, of life. And a lot of guys, I, I think it probably clicks for them after they leave here. Like they get out of here and think like, Oh man, like this, that I heard this, I heard that I didn't, I don't have to apply this. I'm too talented. Well, then they get into pro ball and they really realize how good they had it. And they're like, wow, it all makes sense now. And I think you have some that come from backgrounds where they get here and they're like, I'll never have it better than this. So everybody's at a different kind of wavelength when they come in. And I think when they leave, but what I love the most about 
the development that does take place here, you know, mentally, physically, on the field, off the field, is that when you come in as a freshman, and we're very much a program, if you're good enough to play right away, you'll play right away. We have a young team this year. We've, um, we've had a young team everywhere. There were freshmen that started, or every year, um, there were freshmen that started in that 2019, you know, championship team. But I think what I love the most is that um, the, the older guys, kind of the older brothers, as you would call them, they're the teachers. And they're the ones that when they have learned something, when they came in as a freshman in 2018, by the time they're a junior or a senior in 2021 or 2022, they're the ones that have to drive down those environmental and behavioral patterns and behaviors that you want from the younger guys. Because a coach can say something until he's blue in the face, but we spend the smallest amount of time with these guys of anyone we're capped on the hours that we can spend with them. Um, a, a lot of it's not one-on-one time because you're with the team or you're with groups when they go back to the dorms and when they're eating meals together, those are the people that are impacting them the most. And if the younger guys are hanging out with the older guys and the older guys have learned the right things, they're just going to pass those things down because those are easy to follow when you've got great templates and great, um, you know, role models, which I think is what they become. It's just like the younger brother, older brother mantra. If your older brother is a protector and somebody that wants to look out for your best interests and help you avoid maybe some of the pitfalls and mistakes that, that they went through, um, you're going to want to you know get behind and lead that guy because they're going to be somebody that's going to help you as you grow. And then in turn, in a couple of years, you're going to be that guy and you're going to pass that knowledge down too. And I think that's where true development really takes place. I mean, you got to lead by example, first and foremost, like you said, like coach could yell till he's blue in the face, but like, if you're looking at someone who's maybe two, three years older than you, when you're looking at, you know, an underclassman looking up at an, uh, an upperclassman, you know, like, okay, like this is the uh, example I'm going to have to lead by for years to come, you know, like kind of pay it forward in a sense, when it comes to building the program, going on to that next generation of talent over those next four years, I think that's obviously very important. I think it's very impressive too how coach has been able to, again, like, like you said, like he's barely talking about baseball when he's with the guys, you know, like, cause over for as long as he's been there, you know, like times evolved, players have evolved, you know, the overall cultures evolved in a sense, you know, like today players are getting things from a materialistic standpoint that you probably didn't get when you were playing, you know, when it comes to like diet plans, nutritional stuff, you know, like gear, et cetera, you know, like when it comes to that stuff, you know, looking back at it again, like you probably didn't get all of that, you know, fancy treatment at a young age. And again, it is one of the top, you know, programs in the nation too. So you have that going for you. Do you feel like some of those kids coming in, like you said, you know, trying to build that certain mentality from a character standpoint, do you feel like some of them come in spoiled or do you feel like that stuff doesn't really matter? Like for the most part, when you're building this mentality, people buy into it and, you know, they're, they're driven from a baseball standpoint and that only. Well, yeah, I mean, everybody's different when they come in. And I think that's another thing that I love about our program is it's a, it's very diverse, both, you know, socioeconomically and, and you look around the locker room, you've got people from all over the country, from all different backgrounds, um, you know, successful parents, parents that have nothing. Um, you, it, it's, it's very interesting to me that, you know, coach Corbin has been able to build something like that over time where um, that's the strength of our program. Cause that's the world, right, Jack? Like we look around and nobody is like us. You walk on the street, you're hopefully not going to walk past somebody that's just like you does the same things, looks the same as you. And I love that. I absolutely love that about our program. And when you get that, you get kids that come in at different, you know, in different walks and different maturity levels. I think the, the, the slipperiest slope of where we're at today is just the social media makes things very tough. And I think that's the thing um, we always try to be super mindful of is we always want to make it about the team, the team, the team, the team. And it's never really about the individual. You can grow the individual inside the team messaging, but when they come in here, they've been built up in this, um, this kind of pressure cooker of expectation of ranking of all American games of, you know, I work for USA baseball, but of, of team USA, of all these things that when you get to college, Jack, they, they don't matter. Like right. they just don't matter anymore. It doesn't matter. Nobody's going to be like, Oh man, he was a so-and-so all American. He's going to hit lead off right away. No, it doesn't entitle you to anything. Um, you know, they call them smartphones, but they're probably making us more stupid. You know, I find myself, 
I find myself more and more like, man, what am I doing on this thing? Put it down, put it down. And I think that comes with probably less human interaction. And like I said, I'm as guilty of it as anybody, but this constant stimulation where you're always turned on and not connecting and not having conversations and you're reading kind of your own hype and you buy into your own hype, I think that can be damaging to you know, their psyche at a young age. So there is, I would say with some kids, a rewiring that has to take place of understanding that you were you know, the big, big, big fish in a small pond and now you're not when you get here. And there's some, you know, there's some time and some progression that has to take place in, in your ability to earn a role with inside of the team. Um, and I think for every one of those, you get somebody that can come in and can handle this physically um, and maturity wise right away and can make an impact. So for every kid that you look at, you're, there's probably somebody in the opposite end of the spectrum where you're going to have to put, you know, kind of extra special attention on not necessarily time-wise, but making sure that the message that you're putting out there is sinking in with them. And I think that um, that's a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people when they get in here and realize like, Hey, I'm not going to be able to play from day one, but some of the best players that have come out of this in, environment are ones who didn't play till their third or fourth season. And were able to do some special things, just kind of, waiting your turn, continuing to work. And we talk about this all the time, treating the opportunities that you get like it's your Friday night. Like if you're a pitcher and you get to throw on a Tuesday in a bullpen or you don't get to throw at all, and, but you get to throw in a scrimmage during the week, that's your Friday night start. And you have to attack it that way. And over time, if you do those things correctly and you put in the investment level, the game's going to pay you back. It won't be on your watch but the investment level you put in will eventually pay you back in some form or fashion. And if you can kind of treat your outings, your at-bats, your time in the weight room, like it's the most important thing you're doing and that you are the leadoff hitter or the cleanup hitter or the Friday night starter, I really do believe that good things come to people who put in the work. It just doesn't always happen the way we want it to or on the time clock that we want it to. You almost kind of have to learn to love that mindset in the sense of like, okay, I'm coming in here as a freshman, or even if you're not a freshman, you're just not getting the playing time that you feel like you deserve. You should learn to love that current state because now you're motivated more than ever to put in that work, whether it's in the weight room, in the classroom, you know, becoming a better teammate in that sense in order to not only gain the respect of your coaches and your teammates to build that rapport and build that chemistry because at the end of the day if if you're loving what you're doing like a it's not work and b the results are going to come because you're putting in the work and and you're loving what you're doing whether it's from you know you're on the field or whether it's you you know off the field like doing all of this different stuff wearing these multiple different hats and then the last thing i kind of wanted to ask you because again it is game day and i promise not to take too much of your time but you know like looking back at everything that, that you've been able to accomplish whether it was with USA baseball you know kind of helping mold you know the, the teenagers of the world winning a couple of championships representing uh, the USA and 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 bringing that over to Vanderbilt and dealing with you know the 18 through 22 23 age group and molding these guys into young men and teaching them what it takes to be not only a pro ball player but you know a, a again like a respectable human being like when you look back at some of the things that you've been able to accomplish what what are you most proud of and what are you most looking forward to accomplishing when it comes to again helping build this program up to its respectable nature that it's become that's a tough question jack um (laughs) honestly I get the most fulfillment and probably personal pride, which pride can be a dangerous word, but I don't mean it in that sense in the relationships that I've built with people along the way. Um, and I, and I hope that everybody I've interacted with would just say, Hey, he, he did it the right way. And so when a championship comes from that, people are like, well, uh, he did it the right way. You know, he was around the right people and does the right things and puts in the work um, and, and that doesn't always happen. There's teams that win championships where, you know, you, you know, people look around and they're like, oh, they didn't deserve that. Well, you know, you don't always know what goes into those type of things. But I do think that's the piece I'm most proud of is that I've tried to learn from my failures. I've tried to learn from when teams, when, you know, when teams didn't win or when I didn't win, how could I apply something different that I learned from that experience into making sure it didn't happen the next time? Uh, I'm, I'm proud of that but more proud of just the relationships that have come along the way and hopefully the impact that, that I've had and, and will continue to have. Um, 
you know, like I think I talk about my parents all the time. They raised me in a great household. They raised me to be a baseball you know, kid to turn into somebody who did get to do this, you know, for a career. Um, it's never really felt like a job. You know, it's not always easy, but it's never really felt like a job. And like my mom and dad, um, I get a text from them within 15 seconds of any win and every loss that's encouraging or, Hey, get them next time or didn't get enough hits today. Yeah. I, I know we didn't get enough hits today. Mom would get shut out, but, um, I appreciate that so much. And, um, I think the support system that I have around me, I'm just so thankful for. I'm more thankful for it today than I ever have been because I realize how important that it is. And I get more enjoyment, honestly, out of getting to be around people and relationships. And I talk about our staff all the time. I love the people that I get to do this with. We have so much harmony in our building that that's what makes it worth it. Because even if you win a national championship, that's one day. It's one four-hour period. It's one celebration at night. And then you move on to the next thing. Don't take it for granted whatsoever. I, I don't mean to diminish what it was because it was incredible. People still bring it up. I still bring it up. I have a picture on my wall, you know, of it. But um, that was awesome. But it'll never take away the relationships with those 70 people that were along for that journey. Some of them that are, you know, still in our building and some of them that aren't. Some that play pro ball, some staff that have moved on. They'll never take those relationships and those stories away they can come, somebody could walk in my office right now and steal my national championship ring and the trophy. They can't steal those memories. And I think that's the piece that I always just try to lean back on and, and enjoy the most is like the ride, the journey, the memories, the relationships. Like that's what I really am probably the most proud of. And, and, and again, it took me a while to kind of gain that perspective, but it is something I try to take to heart. No, I mean, it's definitely great that you're able to see that now. Again, you know, being in the position you are trying to, again, bestow that knowledge on, on the kids that you're you're currently dealing with in the program. And it's great to be surrounded, like you said, whether it's, you know, your parents, family members, uh, from a professional standpoint, to be surrounded by like-minded people that, again, like nobody's like you in a sense. Nobody thinks like you, but everybody is like-minded in the sense of like, we all have one common goal in mind. Let's be the best that we could possibly be. Because at, at the end of the day, that's how you're going to grow both as a, a unit and individually. If you're able to have that again, quote unquote spirit to want to accomplish all of these things, like everybody's going to grow from it. And again, I know you got a lot on your plate today, so I'll let you go. Brooks, thanks for being gracious enough to talk to me here for again, like the past hour or so, hopefully I didn't take too much of your morning, but uh, again, I wish you guys luck tonight. Hopefully we see you back in the dance in a few months and hopefully everything gets back to normal because again, Nashville is a rocking town to be in. And I hope you guys get to use it to the best of your ability. Well, I appreciate it a lot, Jack. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on. Appreciate what you do for, for the community and uh, love the podcast. So keep up the great work. I'm so boned. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow, and now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude. She's probably going to break up with you. She's definitely going to break up with me. Should have used TickPick. Wait, what'd you say? TickPick. Look. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, TickPick. I thought you said... TickPick. No hidden fees. Download today. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.